You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 through 33. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Secret to Marriage. I found it out. Some of you are like, that that really scares me, that Josh found the secret to marriage. The words of the wise man, Agur, in Proverbs 38, 18 through 19 says this. Three things are too wondrous for me. Four, I cannot understand. So first three things he marvels at. The fourth, the wise man in the book of Proverbs has no clue about. Number one, the way of an eagle in the sky. Number two, the way of a snake on a rock. Number three, the way of a ship at sea. Those are marvelous. Those are wonderful. And number four, the one he cannot understand, the way of a man with a young woman. That's where we're at. (laughs) What is it like to be married? Marriage can be a mystery. And I think in our culture today, it may have even grown more mysterious, given some statistics. I'm going to share two statistics with you, and before I share them, I want you to know I'm not out to get you today. I'm out to encourage you today. And that if you've been divorced, it is not the unforgivable sin. If you've cohabitated, it is not the unforgivable sin. I just want you to know that the Bible presents a third way to our relationships. Listen to this statistic. One quarter of all unmarried women between the ages of 25 and 39 are currently living with a partner. And by their late 30s, over 60% will have done so. Now, this statistic just in this instance speaks to women. But women are delaying marriage. And in fact, in place of it, they're cohabitating with men. And what's the reason for that? And I think that's due to this first statistic, a statistic behind this. Researchers have predicted that out of the 2.4 million couples who will get married this year in the United States, at least 43% will not survive. So almost half of young couples who will get married this year, more than likely, their marriage will not make it. And because of that, it's having ripple effects throughout the culture about how do men and women relate to one another in an intimate and a committed way. And so we've actually seen cohabitation on the rise due to people saying marriage doesn't work. Most of the time it ends in divorce. So what are we to do? Is the best hope just to try it and survive? Or is it possible that we can have marriages that thrive? 
And I think the biblical answer to that is a resounding yes. However, it's not going to be easy. The big question I want us to explore today is what is the secret to marriage? What makes a happy marriage? What makes a lasting marriage in a culture that seemingly has given up on marriage? We're going to look at a highly debated text. It's very countercultural. Our world doesn't like to see what the Bible says about the roles men and women play in marriage. But I want to give you just two prefaces before we read this text. Number one, if you are single, do not view singleness as a punishment. Okay? I don't want you to think that when we talk about marriage, that marriage is God's only gift to people. In fact, you're going to be hearing from a man who was single. We're hearing the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul. So singleness is a gift. And then secondly, some of you say it this way, I don't see singleness as a punishment, but it feels like purgatory. I'm waiting it out. I want to be married. And you think that maybe just God's doing some more work on my life and eventually that person will come along. And I want you to know, God can do work on your life whether you're single or you're married. So so please, I want you to see your singleness is still a gift from God in which He can be glorified through your life, in which you can enjoy Him and make much of Him. But so can marriage. So can marriage. It's also a gift to glorify God and enjoy God and make much of Him. The other thing that I want you to preface this reading of the text with is understand that when Paul wrote this in the first century, Most household codes, the ways philosophers and moralists would tell people how to act in the home, they didn't even address men's roles. If you were a man and a philosopher got up and he began to espouse how one should act in the home, that philosopher generally targeted women, children, and slaves. And if you were the husband, a father, or a slave owner, you got a pass. Here's the interesting thing. When we hear the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul, men, you don't get a pass. He has a high expectation of you. As a Christian man, you are to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just imagine sitting in the first century with all different, different socioeconomic people, different uh, people in, of race and color, Jews and Gentiles, women, men, young and old, and here in the middle of all of that, the first time you hear somebody stand up and address men and what they're supposed to be in the home. So let that fall fresh on you as we read this text. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Could you imagine when that was just spoke up? Every husband in the room looked up like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Husbands. 
love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. The first choice and clue to the secret of marriage that Jesus gives us through the Apostle Paul is this. Number one, number one and it's addressed to wives. So wives, I want you to listen to me gently and respectfully. Wives... Follow and respect your husband's leadership. Wives, follow and respect your husband's leadership even when he does not deserve it. And all the wives said, Amen. Even when he does not deserve it. Now let's go ahead and deal with this word submission. You're called to submit and respect to your husband's authority or leadership. The word submit, we don't need to make it any more than it is. It's plain. But it's to place or arrange yourself under another. The idea can even be this, to fall in line behind someone. Now, think about this for a minute. If submission was forcing you to fall in line behind your husband, then that would be coercion. This command has your volition in mind that the Apostle Paul wants you to voluntarily put yourself behind your husband and follow him. So please, ladies, understand this is a choice you must make. If it's not a choice, I don't believe you're fulfilling what Jesus has in mind. That you make a conscientious decision to follow your husband. And please note this, men, in case you didn't notice this. That's not men, women submitting to men. That's wives submitting to who? Their own husbands. Okay? So we need to see that first of all in the text. Now, there's an issue in our culture we tend to think that if you are in line behind somebody, if you're following somebody else, that that leader is superior. And if you are a follower, you must be inferior. And I want you to think about this in terms of Jesus. Jesus is equal with God. 
He is the Son of God. Everything that we can say about the Father as far as His attributes, His omniscience, His omnipresence, all of the things we can say are true of Jesus as well. All those attributes. But here's something that we find interesting. And just note this verse, John 6.38. John 6.38 says this. This is Jesus speaking, telling us about His mission why he came to the earth, why he left his throne being equal with God coming to the earth. He said this, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Did you notice this? Jesus makes a decision to volitionally carry out the will of God the Father. Are God the Father and God the Son equal? Yes. But notice what happens here. Jesus makes a decision to say, I will go and I will follow you, God. So women, I want you to understand, wives, you're not inferior to your husband. That's not how the Bible portrays this relationship. But I do want you to know you are called to obey. And you're called to obey even when this man does not deserve it. You know how I know why? A couple of things here in the text and in the Bible. Write this down, 1 Peter 3, 1. Just take note of this, 1 Peter 3, 1. Christian wives were even called to submit to their unbelieving husbands who disobeyed the word so that they might be won over without a word by the way their wives live. That not only does this following and respecting your husband create the kind of marriage God has in mind, but he says this, if your husband is lost, it might be the very way in which you win him to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says this, and you can note it down, 1 Corinthians 7.15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. So the point was that that woman in that particular context hey, just was to stay as best she could to be a witness to them. And if, then she, if that man rejects her and leaves her, what does the Lord say? It's okay, right? He abandoned her. In Acts 5.29, one more note, Acts 5.29. While it tells us here in this text that we must obey, or excuse me, we must submit or follow the husband in everything, I do want you to understand what the scripture says in Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than man. If your husband is directing you to do something that is against God's law, I want you to understand, don't listen. Don't submit, do not respect, do not follow. But is it possible, is it possible for a Christian man, and maybe even an unbelieving man, who's still within the boundaries of God's word to give direction to the family and for you to follow him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen to this one study. 74% of of men agreed with this statement. I would rather live with a wife who respected me but did not love me than live with a wife who loved me but did not respect me. 74% 74% of men. Now that doesn't mean men don't want to be loved. But given in general, whether we would want your love or your, your respect, we'll take your respect. That's not even just a biblical idea. That's just in general. Men in general. And I want you to think about one area of respect. Communication. And this goes both ways. Wives and husbands. 
97% of couples who rate their communication with their partner as excellent are happily married, compared to only 56% who rate their communication as poor. If you as a wife and you as a husband can learn to communicate respectfully, the odds of your marriage being phenomenally happy are high. But when the communication breaks down and the disrespect comes into play, people want out. Communication is the single most important contributor to a stable and satisfying marriage. Psychologists, even uh, here at the University of Denver, have found that with 80% accuracy, they can tell who will be divorced in six or seven years after marrying by looking at not if they argue, but how they argue. I'll tell you right now, for those who've seen me and my wife at any length at all, we argue. We have different opinions and different visions about what should happen at times, but here's the thing that I cherish about my wife. She fights well and she fights fair. And I want you to know this. That was not always the case for either one of us. Those first one or two years of marriage can be tough learning how to talk to one another. Isn't it the truth? And so we've got to learn how to respect and love one another as we communicate with one another. Mandy and I don't always agree, but here's what I know, and I, and I appreciate this about her. I want to make much of her because I think this is what Jesus has done in her. We don't always agree, but here's what I do know that she respects me, and for the most part, to my knowledge, I don't sense that she complains or gossips about me behind my back. I think one of the most devastating things to a man is when a a wife's girlfriends have more communication about their marital problems than the husband. And I'm not saying the husband has no part in that, but I'm saying, hey, I appreciate my wife so much that when we aren't on the same page, we work it out together. And it's not everybody's business. One prime example, when we were looking for a church to pastor, there was a church in Lancaster, South Carolina, that I really took to fairly fairly quick. And I'm I'm not going to lie, I'm not talking about salary, I'm talking about this. And men, you'll know exactly what I'm saying is on paper, it just seemed to fit. And we went up, even did interviews. I mean, we were at the line of talking about salary. That's where we were at. We went and did a visit toward the church, toward neighborhoods around there. I think we actually did this twice. And Mandy, predominantly, and it caused me to question some things, but she just did not have a piece about making that move. And we didn't argue, we were in discussion about it, but the gist of what I was getting from her was, Josh, I'll follow you anywhere, but I want to be confident that you're going and you're taking me places where you know the Lord wants us to be. Now, men, you understand this, that's a good expectation of a wife to have. Hey, I'll follow you, but you better be following the Lord. You've got to look at me with confidence and saying, The Lord is calling us here. 
And when the, the, the conversation began to be framed that way, you know what? I really wasn't as certain as I thought I was. Looked good on paper. But could I say with confidence, this is what the Lord was calling us to do. Now, fast forward just a couple of months. We're here at Mount Carmel. No law after the interview. I had parked right out here in front of the little flower bed. I got in the car. Right as I turned the key, I said, we'll be at Mount Carmel. We'll be at Mount Carmel. And that wasn't not due to arrogance or confidence, but the thing that she was waiting for me to have, that peace and the Lord's leadership, I knew it then. And I'm thankful for a wife that would, hey, call me out and protect me of my sins and dangers. And a wife that expected a husband who would follow the Lord's leading. And at the same time, I could fully trust her to say, Josh, I'll go wherever you want to go. So see, it's going to work both ways, ladies and gentlemen. This is not as one-sided as you believe it to be because I do cherish and value her input into our decision-making. The second thing that we see here is a choice, another choice, and another clue to the secret of marriage. Husbands, lovingly and sacrificially lead your wives even when she is unlovable. Husbands, lovingly and sacrificially lead your wives even when she is unlovable. Now you notice this. I want to go ahead and get them all out of the way before I pointed this out in the text. Women, you submit to your husbands as unto who? The Lord. Christ, in this instance, is our example. And the example that Christ has set for us is that he came down to this earth to give his life, to die on the cross for a people, the church, who were unlovable. We tend to think we have this idea of God, that God is just up in heaven, desperately bored, and needs friends. And he looked down over heaven and goes, you know what, that group of people down there, they're really cool. I'd like to get to know them. And so he came down and tried to like woo us through the cross. We need to understand a sense of who the church was before Jesus saved us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were the enemies of God. We deserve to wake up in hell. That's what the Bible paints for us. That's who we really are. And even in the midst of all of our flaws, our imperfections, our ugliness, our sin, our rebellion, our treason, our betrayal, Jesus said this, I love you anyway. So ladies, wives, please see see this. Your submission is a reflection of your relationship to the Lord, not the performance of your husband. He doesn't deserve it. I wouldn't tell you. I'll break that to you. He doesn't deserve it. But Jesus does. You see that? And men, men, there's going to be times she's disrespectful. There's going to be times where she's not as loving as she once was. But here's your point that you need to take away. You're not compared to to be with her based on how you feel or how she reacted. You're compared to the Lord Jesus Christ and His standard is absolute perfection. You're to love her as Jesus loved us and He laid down His life for us. He gave up everything in order for that to happen. I'm going to wait to save this. 
Men, do you see what happens here? Your authority and your leadership is not used to boss somebody around, but it's used to serve her. What does Jesus do? As soon as it mentions that he's the head or the authority or the leader of the church, it immediately says, and he saved the body. And he sanctified the body. He made her clean. And he's working on her so that one day he will present the church flawless and blameless and spotless to his satisfaction. He is leading her for her benefit and for her own spiritual well-being. Men, that's the position you have. You use your authority and leadership to make your wife more like Jesus. And I think we've missed the aim of that responsibility that he's given to us. It's not to make your, your life easier at times. In fact, it may even make it more difficult. Here's another basic need. This is for you ladies to to champion you. During a conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved or disrespected? 83% of men said they feel disrespected and 72% of women feel unloved. Husbands, your wives need to know from your lips, from your time, and even your wallet that she is loved. That she is loved. C.S. Lewis, I'll actually recite this. If you ask me to do a wedding for you, you're going to hear some C.S. Lewis. This is one of my favorite little paraphrases from the book called The Four Loves. I love how eloquent it is. He says, Husbands, your love and your leadership of your wives will be most seen, not in the joys of your marriage, but in its troubles. When your part in the marriage is most like a crucifixion. When you give the most and receive the least. Husbands, you see that a part of the secret to your role in the marriage is crucifying your desires and putting your wife before your own interests. That's the example that you've been given. Some of you right now are saying, I feel like my marriage is a crucifixion. And you're probably on the right spot. (laughs) She receives the most, you receive the least. That's what Jesus did for us. Husbands, let me get real practical to you. What's that look like? The other week, two weeks ago, Amanda and I were arguing, and I'm confident it was something dumb because I don't remember it. And I'm sure I started it. I'm going to confess it to you. I know I said something to her I should not have said. But, but knowing this, here's the one part I'll give myself. My mind had been washed in the word and the spirit was on me. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I said, I'm going to have to go and ask for forgiveness. I mean, it was that quick. It was like I couldn't stop from saying it. But as I was saying it, it was like, dummy, you're going to have to get up and ask, ask for forgiveness. And here's what I've learned. You, you may show where, where the real leadership comes in, men. And this, this, this may save some of your marriages today if you'll do what Jesus tells you to do right here. You be the first to apologize. I, when we were married earlier, we would do that waiting game where one slept on the couch, one in the bed. Who can, who can outlast a war of attrition? I usually lost that because I need her more than she needs me. <laughs> 
So Jesus is just like, hey, instead of waiting it out, won't you just go ahead and humble yourself and be the first to apologize? Be the first to forgive. Don't hold that grudge. Don't make her pay for it. And then, and this is the one that this, this humbles me. Be the first to serve. I, I'm telling you, when I was trying to evaluate my service, I know there's times my wife serves me all day long. And man, I want you to appreciate the gravity of what Jesus wants you to do in case, this, in case nothing yet has motivated you to lead your wife sacrificially, even when she's unlivable. Listen to 1 Peter 3.7. Just jot that down, 1 Peter 3.7. It says, showing them, he's talking about wives, honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. He says, your wife is equal in Jesus. And then notice what the rest of this says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Man, here's what shakes me to my core, is the way you treat your life. Wife, God may be up there going, I'm not listening to you till you treat her better. I'm not listening to your prayers until you go and ask for forgiveness. Some of you husbands here, seriously, an answer to why your prayers aren't being answered may be the treatment of your wives. That's how important and how valuable she is in the eyes of God. You treat her wrong, I won't hear you. Men, notice this other point. So you, you have this analogy that husbands are to care for wives as Christ cares for the church. But it even says this, that you're to treat her like you treat your own body. If there ever shows equality here, here it is. He says the whole idea is that when you get married, here's what the government can't do, okay? Here's what culture can't do. But in the mind and eye of God, when two people make this everlasting commitment, a husband and a wife, they become one flesh. One wife, one husband becomes one. Now think about this. He says, it's normal for a man to care about himself. That's normative. A man will care for his body. He'll make provisions for his body. He will not starve. He wants to live in comfort. He says, but when you marry your wife, you're to treat her equally in the same sense. You're to extend that same self-care to her. What you would do for yourself, you should do for her. If you'll provide this care for her, uh, for you, you should provide this care for her. If you'll provide this provision for her, you should provide this provision for her. And notice what happens here in the text. It says this, that when a man loves his wife this way, it's to his betterment. Some of us, just the way your, your household could get better if you just treated your wife the way you treat yourself. It is to your advantage to extend every grace, mercy, care, and provision you give to yourself to extend that to your wife. And I just don't want you to think of this in terms of bodily, physical care, but it also encompasses soul and spiritual care. Here's what I find devastating. We talk about husbands having leadership to help their wives become more like Christ. Listen to this statistic. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm hoping this motivates you to do the right thing. 55% over half of married couples do not pray together. Husbands, with gentleness and respect, it is your duty to grab your wife by the hand 
and get on your knees and pray for her. I, I want my wife to hear my voice in prayer. And the same for you. And men, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, some of you go, like, if, if all you took away today was to go and like every day, maybe it's right before bed, you just held her hands and prayed for her. I'll tell you right now, I'll guarantee it, I'll promise it, you can write it down. It will be awkward. It'll be weird, it'll be uncomfortable, but hey, that's leadership. That's leadership. Did you notice this? Marriage involves a series of choices. Wives, you have a choice to make. Husbands, you have a choice to make. And what you need to see this morning is that your response to your spouse is your responsibility. You can't, Mandy cannot control me. I cannot control Mandy. But how I treat Mandy after the deed is done is fully in my control. What she says to me after I do my stupid thing is fully in her control. So I'm asking you to make the choice of what you can do and work with. And know that the partner on the other side is imperfect. They won't deserve it at times, and they'll be unlovable at times, but this is what you're called to. What is the secret to marriage? I want you to look close with me one more time in verse 31. Ephesians 5, 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, in my Bible, that's in bold. It references an earlier passage from the Old Testament. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You can kind of say it this way. This was when God officiated the wedding of Adam and Eve, he may have said this. So this goes all the way back to the garden. That the purpose of marriage here was showing that a man and a woman becoming one in God's eyes. But notice how Paul follows it up in verse 32. This mystery is profound. It's great. And then notice what he does. He does this subtle switch. Oh, he said, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. We were talking about marriage. He goes, no, oh, I'm sorry. Biblically, when you talk about marriage, you have to talk about Jesus. Write this down and I'll explain it. Here's the secret to marriage. And this is what our culture doesn't have. And this is why there's high expectations among the church. But marriage was meant to make much of Jesus. Marriage was meant to make much of Jesus. So we go back to Genesis chapter 2 in the garden. And we think God created marriage solely because Adam was lonely. Solely because he needed to multiply and, and replenish the earth. That's not the only purposes of marriage. I need you to understand what Paul's saying here. He says, I saw something in Genesis 2 that I never saw before until I met Jesus. Was that marriage all along was a picture of Jesus. God put marriage into play so that you and I can understand more on a daily basis with our wives, with our husbands, who Jesus really is. God set it in motion all the way at the beginning. So that we could know more about how Jesus loves us and how we ought to respond to him. Marriage actually isn't even about you. It was meant to picture Jesus. And so this is why there's a secret. Husbands, if you'll do what Jesus says, you'll see why marriage was really designed the way it was. 
Wives, if you'll do what Jesus said, you're talking to the person that the template was laid over. You can't unlock marriage until you've unlocked Jesus. And when you see Jesus, marriage will begin to make sense because always the end game was with Jesus in mind all the way back in the garden. What does that mean? What does that look like? Here's that practical implication. Why, wives, you have to submit, you have to follow, you have to respect your husbands and husbands. Why, you've got to lay everything down on the line for your wife because here's what's at stake. Wives, you are showing your husbands how to obey Jesus. Wives, you are showing your husbands how to obey Jesus. Think about it this way. I am a part of the church that Jesus died for. I relate in this, in this analogy, I am the church that Christ died for and, and made to make her beautiful. And my response to him is one of worship, love, and obedience. Now think of this. I'm not saying Mandy needs to worship or obey me, but here's what's interesting. If my wife can respect me and follow me as an imperfect person, then what is the issue with my worship, love, and obedience to a perfect Savior? If my wife can fall in line behind me, what's my issue with not falling in line with Jesus? If she can do that, how much more should I love and obey Jesus, who is perfect? And husbands, catch this. You are showing your wives how Jesus loves them. You are showing your wives how Jesus loves them. I would... Nothing should please a husband more than when we stand before Christ and our wives get an, give an account of our marriage. I would love Mandy to say nothing more. You know what, Jesus, there were times where I thought it was you loving me. Josh loved me so much, I kind of thought it was your love. That unconditional, sacrificial, serving, laying everything on the line kind of love. What if our wives learned about Jesus' love for them based solely on our love for them? I said this to Mandy yesterday. I, I wanted her to see this sermon before I preached it. <laughs> I said, it should be said that Jesus loves me, this I know, because my husband loves me so. Isn't it the truth? Oh, I know how Jesus loves me because of the way my husband loves me. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. I think this is the picture that God envisioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. Why did God give us marriage? For this coming day in heaven, in Revelation 19, 7 through 9, it says this. Let us, talking about the church, be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb, the church, has come and his bride has prepared herself. Notice how the bride, the church, prepared herself to meet Jesus in heaven. It says this, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. How does the church clothe itself? Oh, it's by the gifts that God gave us. He says the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right. Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Marriage was given 
Marriage was meant to make much of Jesus so that one day we're going to see him in heaven and we're going to have experienced on this earth what heaven is like. Here's how we do that. Catch this. A marriage that runs the way Jesus designed it, it is a taste of heaven. It really is a taste of heaven. If wives, you'll submit and follow and respect your husband's leadership as unto the Lord, not when he deserves it, you're tasting a little bit of heaven. Husbands, when you lead sacrificially and loving to your wife, when times she's unlovable, you're tasting a little bit of heaven. Marriage was meant to make much of Jesus. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.